Okay. Uh, let me say something about the New Testament, and then uh, if there are questions you'd like to ask, comments you'd like to ask arising out of that, we could do, deal with those uh, after that. So I'm over on to page 39, where it says, how is it that these books ca- uh, make up the New Testament? Hello? What was the last bit? Or oh, he wasn't going. He wasn't seeing the scrolls in the temple, not least because they didn't exist, because the temple had been destroyed. Remember, okay. they would. He would be seeing copies that that some Jews had got, uh, and it's in Bethlehem because Jerusalem has been. Dis- that's why he's in Bethlehem because it's because Jerusalem has been destroyed. There, there might be another thing there that's worth noting, which is I, I'm not quite sure. Yeah, this is in some way it's kind of illuminating. It's it's we've come to have a very often nowadays, not least in a place like um, like Jerusalem. No, 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 that may that may not be fair. Uh, we often have we feel as if there are very um, strongly hostile relationships between different faith communities, and it's a strange thing that in a in the pre-modern context. Well, you might have thought that they would be very hard line in relation to each other. They tended not to be. So that often Jews and Muslims or Muslims and Christians or Christians and Jews or all of them uh, lived, lived together and got on okay even though they believed the other lot were wrong. And so uh, it probably wouldn't seem as odd. And of course you didn't, need, you didn't need a visa or any of that kind of nonsense. In a lot of ways it was much easier in that context than it would be in ours, I think. Let me... I'm sorry, how long did it take him? Uh, I don't know. Um, okay. <laughs> These are very good questions to which I shall find the answers. Not only did he translate it all, he also wrote commentaries, including on Daniel, actually, but also on some other things. But that's a good question, how long did it take him, and I will find out. <laughs> I'm sure Wikipedia will tell me. Somebody, go on, somebody Wikipedia, Jerome, I'm sure it's there while I'm talking about the New Testament in boring fashion. Okay, how is it that these books make up the New Testament? Then, if you find the answer, then tell us. If, you'd asked, if you asked the Christ, some Christians in AD 50, say, 20 years after Jesus had uh, resurrected, uh, have you got a Bible? They'd say, yeah, of course we have. And they would point you to what we call the Old Testament. That, that was their Bible. Um, if you then said, excuse me, is that all? Uh, I thought you believed in Jesus. Um, they would then say, well, we've got, yeah, we've got stories about Jesus. We tell stories about Jesus. Every time uh, we gather, we'll read the scriptures and we'll tell stories about Jesus, who's the kind of fulfillment of these, those scriptures' expectations. So the canon for them, in a sense, is Jesus, but it's not a written canon. It's a canon in the form um, of the uh, traditions, the stories about who he was, what, what happened to him, the kind of thing he did. Um, and, oh, we've got the answer. Around 15 years. 15 years. Thank you. Uh, like Paul, well, Paul in particular, um, are writing letters. I mean, you can imagine in Corinth or somewhere, mustn't, what you'd have felt, you know, when you oh no, there's another letter from Paul. 
what are you going to do now? Um, uh, and uh, there are um, indications in some of these letters that although they were geared to the needs of particular congregations, uh, the, 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 they were covering issues that weren't just uh, topics that concern those particular congregations, and that congregations said to each other, okay, we'll give you a copy of our letter if you give, you a copy, give us a copy of yours. Or perhaps they also said, we'll give you our letter and you can keep it. <laughs> or perhaps rather, no, we don't, don't show them what it says about us in that letter from Paul, whatever you do. Uh, but Peter himself puts it, rather, puts it rather differently. Here's 2 Peter chapter 3, uh, verse 15. Um, well, verse 14, to give you the context. Therefore, beloved, while you are waiting for these things, the coming of Christ, strive to be found by him at peace without spot or blemish, and regard the patience of our Lord as salvation. So also our beloved brother Paul wrote to you according to the wisdom given, given him, speaking of this as he does in all his letters. Delightfully, um, 2 Peter goes on, there are some things in them hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction, as they do the other scriptures. That's an interesting phrase, because it rather suggests that Paul's letters are starting to count as, they count as writings, as scriptures, in some sort of sense. Um, in the latter part uh, of the First Testament, of the, um, sorry, of the first century, uh, after the writing of many of the letters, then written accounts of who Jesus was um, come into being. Uh, so that, paradoxically, in the way the New Testament is arranged, although the Gospels logically come first because they tell you the Jesus story, they were actually written second. It was to quite a large extent, the letters that were written first. But you can see how, as, the, um, as time goes by, uh, it would seem a good idea to have a written account uh, of what Jesus was about. So they come into, they come into existence um, letters shared by churches, and Gospels maybe also shared by churches, if it was the case, as recent critical scholarship has tended to assume, that each of the Gospels were written to a particular church, then evidently what happened is that they started getting copied um, and different churches shared them. Um, and uh, there would be in existence in the second century um, a number of these Gospels, the ones that we're familiar with, but no doubt others as well. Uh, but there wasn't anything like a formal collection of Christian scriptures. The end of the second century saw some uh, factors that generated the identifying a, a particular um, collection. There, were, um, uh, there was a crisis, a crisis that had various aspects to it at the end of the second century, as I've put it on the sheet. There's the question of the relationship between faith in Christ and the beliefs of Gnosticism. Uh, there is the attitude that uh, the, one, of the, one Christian leader, Marcion, took to what ought to count as scriptures. Um, and, uh, and, uh, and there's also the teaching um, of another Christian leader called Montanus. So first there is the question of the relationship between faith in Christ and, and Gnostic beliefs. Beliefs um, in a supernatural, a special uh, revelation that's nothing to do with the Old Testament or the New Testament. 
but has got great wisdom in it, both great, great gnosis, gnosis in it. That among other things is inclined to reckon that creation is a bad thing um, and uh, therefore wouldn't want to have anything to do with the creator. Uh, thinks that the world was created by a rather second class god. Um, so there are some questions in the given that there are, given the existence of Christians who would call themselves Gnostics who were not who were uh, who accepted Gnostic beliefs. The question is, what's the what's the right way to see the what's the right place to see the foundation of Christian beliefs? Are we to accept Gnostic perspectives? Are we to reject the um, Jewish scriptures? Um, then a second form of Christianity that drove Catholic Christianity to clarify its thinking was the uh, teaching of Marcion, um, who went beyond the Gnostics in his rejection in a rejection of the Hebrew Scriptures, um, and uh, also distinguished between the, the real God and a subordinate God who created the world. Um, and as far as we know, was the first person who presented an actual list of what ought to be in the Bible, uh, the New Testament. Um, uh, Luke was the gospel that he liked, and he liked uh, some of Paul's letters, but not others. Um, he didn't like the pastorals, the t 1 and 2 Timothy and Titus. So those of you who think that they're really bad news, well, Marcion might be your guy. Uh, and... Uh, then, thirdly, there was the development um, of a movement begun by uh, Montanus, who stressed the present activity of the Spirit in speaking through prophets, um, and also the imminence of the end of the second coming of Christ. But from a point of view of the status of Scripture, um, the question that raised is, is God still speaking now? What's the relationship of authority between uh, documents that go back uh, to the early years of the church and that tell you the story of Jesus and what the Holy Spirit is saying now uh, through uh, prophets. And that those three um, aspects of controversy about the real nature of Christian faith uh, what it, are uh, factors that led the church to clarify uh, what, it's, what were the scriptures, the New Testament scriptures, well, the Old Testament and New Testament scriptures that it acknowledged. Uh, led the church to uh, affirm that it was it did see itself as the heir as a continuation of the faith of Israel, and therefore that it accepted the Old Testament scriptures with that fuzzy question about what exactly counted as the Old Testament scriptures, um, and that it it recognised four particular gospels, the ones that you know, and a collection of epistles as expressing uh, the true nature uh, of Christian faith. Uh, it was a broader list than, say, Marcion's, because it included four Gospels, not just one. Would it be much easier if there's only one Gospel, wouldn't it? I mean, you'd have a lot less trouble with Rick Bean if there's only been one Gospel, wouldn't, wouldn't you, really? <laughs> uh, but significantly, uh, uh, accepted four accounts of who Jesus was, despite the differences between them, um, and, and also Acts uh, and Paul's letters. Later on in the 4th century, there were synods uh, in the Western Church um, that agreed that on the details that weren't covered by that informal uh, recognition of those documents. And so there was some discussion uh, about whether Hebrews was in or out, and whether, whether Revelation was in or out. Um, 
and uh, eventually some agreement on the part, at least of the Western Church, um, a formal agreement as to what was in. Uh, though in the Eastern Church, things stayed vaguer and were a matter of tradition rather than any, any formal decision-making. The, the terms in which the discussion is often uh, had about the canon of Scripture, the canon of the New Testament, is, is in terms of the criterion of whether the documents are apostolic. But that is a more complicated notion than first it sounds. In part, what it means is, do the books in the New Testament express the apostolic faith, that is, the true faith? Um, and this is, in a sense, a kind of circular argument here, um, but the, because the Christian, what the, what, the main, what the churches are agreeing is, that's the faith that we recognize. We just think that those Gnostic guys are wrong. This is the Jesus who seems to us to be the authentic Jesus. It's the apostolic faith that's expressed here, the faith that we believe has been passed down by, uh, from the apostles. And that leads to the, to the second aspect of apostolicity, which is, uh, do, the, um, do these documents come from apostles themselves or from their associates? Um, and what tended to happen, as I put, more, I put more on this just lower down the sheet, is that because the churches were convinced that these documents were apostolic in the sense that they expressed apostolic faith, they tended to have attached to them the name of some apostle because that helped to make the point. So Matthew, nowhere in Matthew does it says, by the way, my name's Matthew. Um, uh, and uh, likewise, li likewise with Mark. But they came to have attributed to them the authorship of somebody who was closely associated with Jesus. In the conviction that it was apostolic faith that was expressed here and therefore... It, it, was, it, expressed the, it expressed that conviction, that certainty, to put the name of an apostle on it. You can see that happening um, in post-New Testament times, post-canonical times, in what happened to Hebrews. Uh, because the heading, um, according to Matthew, is a heading that appears in the, gospel, in the headings of the Gospels, not the Gospel itself, but in the headings of them in manuscripts. In in, with regard to Hebrews, if you have a King, a King James Bible, then it says at the top, um, the epistle of Paul the Apostle to the Hebrews. But it doesn't say anything about that in Hebrews. The logic, again, is working the other way around. Uh, when we read Hebrews, we reckon that we read the apostolic gospel. Um, and eventually the church has agreed that you do read the apostolic gospel in Hebrews. So we need to think of the name. Who's a plausible person to have written Hebrews? A plausible apostle to have written Hebrews? Who can we put at the, at the top as a way of saying this, this is the apostolic truth? Well, obviously, he, obviously Paul. He was fond of writing letters. We'll put his name at the top. Um, and you can see something, a similar process involved in the development of the Torah. That is, um, well, maybe Jim Butler didn't tell you this, and some of you haven't done any other courses to discover, but... Moses didn't write the Pentateuch. Um, well, okay, who wrote it? We don't know. Uh, but, but what you've got in the Pentateuch is the, the development of a series of statements about uh, the nature of Israel's faith, of Exodus' faith. A bit like the nature of apostolic faith. So you get different descriptions of what it means uh, to, uh, to serve God in Exodus and uh, Leviticus and Deuteronomy. 
And sometimes the same, often, the same issues being treated in different ways. And although we don't know the details of how that came about, it seems to me that we do, we do know um, that you have a, a process whereby in different contexts and different periods, God was guiding the, the Israelite community into seeing what would Moses say if he were here now? What does Exodus faith mean now? What does a faith that goes back to God bringing us out of Egypt mean now? Uh, and then putting all that together in a book that in some sense has Moses' authority in the conviction that it does express what Moses would say if he were here now. But the, uh, in, in, in these various examples, it's not that it was written by the right person and therefore it's true. It's that it was true and therefore it must have been written by the right person. The last of the criteria of apostolicity, uh, of the three I put there, it's the, that the books express the true apostolic faith. It's that they go back to the apostles or their associates. But then thirdly, it's has the whole church accepted them? Um, and that was the process that, uh, that got involved, um, that came about uh, over these centuries. It was a process whereby the church altogether came to a view as to what uh, the scriptures, uh, what comprised the scriptures. And people sometimes ask, um, well, could we, add some, could we put something in the Bible? If they were doing it, why can't we do it? Yes, we can certainly do it. All we have to do is to get all the churches to agree what books to add to the Bible. If you can do that, it's done. Um, though you'd be unwise to do it for a reason. I'll just say something about the line at the very bottom of the page. Uh, You'd be unwise to do it in light of the reason why the canon stopped. That is, why does the, do the scriptures only contain things that are 2,000 years old? And the answer is, because the Christian faith is about something that, that is, itself is 2,000 years old. It is, as I sought to um, describe in speaking about, uh, about narrative and its authority. The Christian faith is not what Christians believe, now believe. And the base of the Christian faith, the content of the Christian faith, is not what God is saying now, and it's not what God is doing now. Um, now, uh, I don't believe that God has stopped speaking or that God has stopped acting since 100 AD. God has done lots of things and said lots of things since then. Montanus was right. Uh, and yet, these things that God has done and said th since New Testament times don't have the same sort of significance as the things that God was doing in the first century because, because the crucial thing that God was doing to redeem the world uh, was to send Jesus to die for us and the sorting out of the significance of that by people like Paul and John and Matthew and so on was something that was tied up with the event itself. So uh, we always are looking back in order to discover the nature of Christian faith to what happened and was said back then. And we're always checking what we think is the nature of Christian faith by what happened and what was said back then. Uh, so to say that we wouldn't add things to the canon of Scripture isn't to imply God isn't doing anything or saying anything now. It is to indicate a recognition that the nature of Christian faith is to relate to what God did back then. That was the climax um, of God's activity in redeeming the world. 
Uh, anything about that anybody wants to ask or comment about or questions from the, early, the earlier discussion you had with each other? When, when, the four, when were the four Gospels and Acts established as canonical? No, that was a reaction. When I talked about that, that crisis at the end of the second century involving those three factors, the Gnostics and Marcion and Montanus, that led at the end of the second century to um, the great leaders of the church, like Irenaeus and Tertullian, to come to informal agreement with one another and, and amongst the churches that, that what the church has accepted was the four Gospels and Acts and Paul's letters. Now again, uh, at this stage, still there's, nothing, there's, still there's nothing like this. These were invented a couple of centuries, actually in the 4th century, I think. And, and I think it's reckoned it was not least the coming into existence of, as it were, a Bible that led to the production of a book, because you wanted a convenient way to be able to have a Bible once there was such a thing. But there still isn't such a thing at that point. So it's... Um, so again, congregations wouldn't have a copy of the Bible. Isn't that weird? A church wouldn't have a Bible. It would have, yeah, maybe it's got Matthew and Luke, and the church down the road has got Mark, um, and we've got a copy of Corinthians, and they've got a copy of Romans. But, but the, the church corporately, catholically, um, has agreed that the four Gospels and Acts, Paul's letters, um, count. What happened in the 4th century was the sorting out of the Johannine letters and Hebrews and James and the Petrine letters and Revelation and so on. Okay? Mm-hmm. Because the churches did not have their own copy of Old Testament, is that part of the reason that you have the church and why the liturgy does, like the year A, B, and C, all that, or did that not Uh, wow. Um, no, the year A, B, and C only be, was only devised about 20 years ago. Um... Uh, though, uh, and before then, at least in the Church of England, I think, as far as I remember, it was the same every year. There was only, yeah, it was the same every year. Um, and, and my guess is that, uh, and, and that way it corresponds to the synagogue, and my guess is that's what would have been the case in the church. That is, the, the pattern of church worship, um, which... Of having, say, an Old Testament passage uh, and a passage from the Epistles and a passage from the Gospels um, was kind of patterned on the way that the synagogue worship worked, in which you read through the entirety of the Torah uh, and selective, selectively through the prophets. And so, so that in, in, the, in, a, in one year, you read through the whole of the Torah and selectively through the prophets. And my guess is that the church would have developed a uh, similar, an equivalent. So it would be, tr be the same every year. And, and the, the development of the triennial lectionary, a three-year three cycle that um, uh, Catholic church, the Catholic Church and Presbyterian Church, the Episcopal Church and whatnot use now, was in order to be able to have a broader range of scriptures read. Do you know anything about the, the Orthodox Church in that connection, yeah, Joseph? 
Each year? Each year. Wow. <laughs> I'm sorry? Oh, for, daily, oh, for daily readings. Right, okay. Yes. Okay. Go away. Come back in 20 minutes. And we'll sort out the violent women, or it will sort us out, or something like that. If only. Where's the roster? I said, where's the roster? Oh, it's right there. <laughs>